You know, sometimes in our lives, um, we just need a little fresh start. You know, um, sometimes people like um, coaches, for example, uh, need a, a new challenge. Um, I had a, a coach uh, one time uh, that I knew really well that uh, was very successful, uh, won some state championships, um, had players coming up. I mean, and he, he resigned and, and went to a different uh, school to be a coach and the school he went to they weren't very good they didn't have a history of being good and you ask him why why would you do that you why would you leave uh, this incredible program that you've built with all these players still there and, and go and, and start over and his words to me were well I, ju I just needed a fresh challenge I just needed a new challenge I was in a rut and we see that um, throughout. I mean, sometimes um, I've spent a lot of time around teachers uh, this last year in particular, and I've found out that sometimes uh, teachers need a new subject to teach or, or teachers need a new a group of students to teach because sometimes you just kind of get in a rut or athletes need a new team or uh, sometimes workers, you just feel like you need a new job or a new position. Um, artists sometimes need a new genre to try something new. Um, musicians need to, to maybe learn a new instrument or, or something like that. Um, and pastors need a fresh vision. Sometimes you just, you just need something fresh and you want something fresh. And you just kind of need that fresh start. And, and we could go on and on with the list. But in reality, while all of those are true and we all face times in our lives where um, we, we kind of need a fresh start, um, and we may, um, there's something... And there's one thing in particular that we, I believe, as Christians should not only need, but desire. And that is a fresh movement of God in our lives. Be because what happens is, I believe that most every one of us has had times, or maybe in right now or in that time, or maybe just come out of it, or you're about to go into it. Either way, where we all have those times where our spiritual life just has kind of become monotonous, just kind of doing the same thing, you know, it's just kind of, maybe for lack of a better word, maybe you're just kind of in a rut, just kind of in a spiritual rut, and you just feel like you need uh, a fresh movement of God in our life. And, and with that in, our, in mind, we've actually started a series on Sunday mornings called Renewed, and, and it's talking about and looking at having a fresh movement of God in our lives. And in this uh, series, we're looking at the story of Josiah from 2 Kings chapter 22, where Josiah, King Josiah, led uh, the entire nation of Judah into having a fresh movement or a fresh encounter uh, with God in their lives. And so far, kind of what we've learned and understood is that in order to have a fresh movement of God in your life, there are a couple things that have to happen first. Number one, the conditions for renewal have to be present, meaning you have to understand that you're not where you need to be with God. Okay, and not only do you have to have those uh, that area in your life there, but you have to be willing to acknowledge that's where you are. Because if you're not willing to acknowledge that you need a fresh start with God, if you're not willing to come to the point and say, you know, I'm not where I need to be with Him, my relationship with Him is not um, as solid as it used to be, or my relationship with Him uh, has kind of weakened over time, and I just need a, a fresh movement of God. If I'm not willing to acknowledge that fact, then I'm not going to do anything to try to have a fresh movement of God in my life. So the first thing has to happen is you have to have those conditions and acknowledge them. But the second thing is, is we have to rediscover the Word of God. 
And, and, and that's vital because a fresh movement of God is inseparable from God's Word. And the reason why it's inseparable from God's Word is because it's the Word of God that He uses to speak to us the truths that we need to understand in order for Him to move in our lives. That's what 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17 talk about all scriptures inspired by God and profitable to us for teaching, for correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that the word of God is alive. It is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And so we don't get a fresh movement of God apart from the word of God. And that's where a lot of us miss it. And I think a lot of us want a fresh movement of God, and, and we're willing to even do some good things. Um, maybe there's a new book out, and you hear everyone talking about this book and how it transformed their life. And, 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 and so you go and you buy this book. I remember uh, several years ago, uh, there's a book come out. Uh, it was a New York Times bestseller, Your Best Life Now. You know, and while I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about that particular book, I, I will tell you this, it, it didn't line up completely with Scripture, with the truth of all Scripture. And, and yet people were buying it. So sometimes we're willing to do good things, but we're not willing to dig here. A lot of times this is the last place we want to go to hear from God, but it's actually the first place that He uses to, to reveal Himself to us is in his word. And so you have to rediscover the word of God in your life. Now, once those two things happen, we looked at last week the first step to having a renewal. Once you've acknowledged the conditions in your life are present for a renewal needing to be there, and you've acknowledged and you've rediscovered the power of God's word in your life, the first step to having a, a fresh movement of God in your life is conviction. That's what we looked at last week and how conviction is not a bad thing. A lot of times we look at conviction as a bad thing because we don't like to be convicted. But a biblical conviction is actually a loving rebuke that God uses through the Holy Spirit to draw us back to Him. Conviction in a biblical sense it has a very relational aspect to it. it. It is there to not make you feel worthless. Conviction is there to get your attention so that you will understand your need for God and it will draw you back to him. That's what conviction is. And then today we're going to look at the second step to having a renewed, a, a fresh new movement of God in your life. So if you have your Bibles open in 2 Kings chapter 22, I'm going to ask you if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning. We're going to start in verse 13 and we're going to read down through verse 19. The Word of God says in 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 13, Go inquire of the Lord for me. Now this is Josiah talking. Go inquire of the Lord for me, for the people and all of Judah, concerning the words of the book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So Hilkiah the priest, and a bunch of other names I'm not going to try to to, to pronounce, went to this lady called, um, uh, yep, I'm not going to pronounce her name, to this lady in Jerusalem, uh, and they spoke with her. And, and then they, she said to them, this was a prophetess, and she said this to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, this is verse 15, tell the man who sent you to me, 
Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and, in it, and on its inhabitants all of the words of the book which the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath shall be aroused against this place and shall not be quenched. Verse 18, But... As for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the words which you have heard. Because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse, and you tore your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you says the Lord. Let's pray. God, today I pray that you'd bless the reading of your word, and now as we begin to examine it this morning, I pray that I would decrease and that your spirit living in me would increase, and that the words would be shared today would be yours and not mine. And Father, you would, through the power of your Holy Spirit, use these words to, to come into our hearts and our lives to impact us, uh, and Father, lead us to decisions that we need to make and then help us to follow through with what you call us to do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So upon rediscovering the Word of God, remember that's what happened first. They were redoing the temple, and while they were redoing the temple, they found the book of the law had been lost. They rediscovered the Word of God. It began, they read it to Josiah, and Josiah, the very first thing, which we looked at last week, that he did was he tore his clothes. Tearing clothes, and that's what we looked at last week, is an idea of being convicted, of understanding, of heartbreak, knowing uh, that they hadn't added up and did what they needed to do. So he was convicted. But then secondly, the second thing that he did was he confessed his sin and the sin of his people. You see that in verse 13, and you also see it in verse 19. Look at verse 13 with me again real quick. It says, Go and inquire of the Lord for me, for the people and all of Judah, concerning the words of this book that has been found. Listen, For great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of the book to do according to the all that was written concerning them. And so he hears the word, he's convicted by it, and then he confesses that his people, and particularly the kings that came before him, their fathers, notice that word fathers is, is plural. He's talking about the generations, not just the kings. So the people in general had disobeyed and not done what God told them to do, so he was convicted by it, and then he confessed it. Now, we also see that he confessed if you go over and look at verse 19. In verse 19, it says this, because you're, and this was the lady talking, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against the place and against the inhabitants, that they would come, <coughs> sorry, become a desolation and a curse. And you tore your clothes and wept before me. Listen, I have also heard you. Okay, and so we know that just through those two verses that, that Josiah not only was convicted of his sin, but he confessed his sin as well. And that is the second step that's required for us having a fresh mood of God. We have to be willing to confess where we have fallen short. There has to be true conviction, but true conviction always leads to true 
confession. And it is a vital aspect of having a fresh movement of God. And so for the rest of our time this morning, I want us to look at, a, at the biblical concept of confession and what that is. Because when we hear confession today... Um, there's a lot of different things that go through our mind. For some, we hear them, and maybe based off the background, maybe they grew up Catholic or, or they have a lot of Catholic friends, and they hear the word confession, and they think about going in and talking inside of a box and talking to a priest and confessing their sins to a person who then tells them what they need to do to be forgiven of that sin or for that sin to be taken care of. And that, that's one way of looking at confession. That is part of the Catholic religion. For sure it is. Uh, for others, we hear the word confession, and if you're anything like my family and you got caught up watching that Netflix series, The Innocent Man, you think of confession being somebody who confesses to doing something wrong, okay? And if you've watched that series, you know there were two men who they have on tape confessing to this, but yet their confession didn't line up with the actual evidence, yet they're still in prison for this crime, and that's kind of what that series is about. And so we hear these words, confessions, and there's lots of different things that can go through our minds. And so this morning, it's imperative for us to truly understand what biblical confession is. Because biblical confession is a lot different than, than going to a priest and telling them what you've done wrong. It's a whole lot different from standing there and, and admitting necessarily to doing something. Confession from a biblical standpoint is a little bit different than that, and so that's what we're going to look at. And so to do that, if you have your Bibles, flip over them with me to Psalm chapter 51. Psalm chapter 51 is the written response of repentance of David. David, after he had sinned with Bathsheba, and we know that whole story, uh, he saw Bathsheba bathing on the roof, he had lust for her. He called her to his chambers. He did what he wasn't supposed to do. She gets pregnant. He tries to cover it up by bringing her husband home, and her husband doesn't do what he's not supposed to do when men are at war, and so he sends him back because he knew he was in trouble, so he sends him back to the front line, basically, so he'll be killed. And so we, David's sin with Bathsheba led to a bunch of stuff, okay? He was confronted with that sin by the prophet. And once he was confronted with his sin, what he did with Bathsheba and everything that surrounded it, Psalm 51 is his written response of repentance. And in the first few verses, verses 1 through 4, we find three important facts about what biblical confession really is. And that's where I want to spend the rest of our time. And so the first thing I want us to see is a portrait of confession. Uh, what it looks like, okay? And if you look at verse 3, you, you'll kind of get an idea of this. Look at what he says in verse 3. He says, for I acknowledge my transgressions. It's that, that word acknowledge. To confess means to admit something, okay? But the Hebrew word that is used to confess or means is translated confess was, was to acknowledge something, but... It had, and it carried with it the idea of not only acknowledging something or admitting to something, it actually carried with it the idea of agreeing with the assessment of it. Okay, so, so it wasn't just saying, I acknowledge I did that. It was being willing to not only acknowledge you did it, but to agree that what you did was wrong. That's what confession was in the biblical concept. 
It's not just saying, yeah, I did that, but it's being willing to agree that what you did is wrong based off what God has said. Now, now here, here's how I, we see the difference today. There are people today who say, yeah, I did that, but I don't agree that I did what I did was wrong. That's not confession. That's admitting to something, but you don't agree that what you did was wrong. That's not biblical confession. Biblical confession comes from the idea of acknowledging what you did is wrong and agreeing that it was wrong. See, that's where a lot of us don't want to go. We, we don't necessarily mind saying, yeah, I did it. But we're not real quick to say, but I was wrong about it. And, and that's where we miss having a fresh movement of God when it comes to confession. Because confession is not, again, it's not just admitting. You have to be willing to agree with God's assessment of it. You have to agree with God in his view. But most of the time, we admit to something. We don't agree that it was wrong. And until we do, we won't experience a fresh movement of God because confession is a required step. And confession isn't just saying, I did it. It's also agreeing that what you did was wrong. Okay? So that's the first thing. And you can see that if you look in verse 3, because it's that word acknowledge. Acknowledge. That's what that means. So that's what it looks like. It's being willing to agree and admit what you did was wrong and agree that it's wrong. The second thing I want us to see about confession is some points of confession, some things that we need to confess for. If you look in verses 1 through 3, there are three things specifically that David confessed he agreed and admitted to, there are three things. The first one is found in the first verse. Look at it. It says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. So the first thing that he confesses is his transgressions. He is a transgressor. Now, what is a transgressor? To transgress literally means to step over the boundaries. Okay? To transgress means to step over boundaries. So, so in this case, it would be the boundaries of God. Okay? And here's what we need to know. God has, whether or not you agree with them or not, God has established certain boundaries. He has created certain physical boundaries. He's created certain moral boundaries. He's created certain spiritual boundaries. And he says, don't step over these boundaries. Physical. Do not have sex outside of marriage. That is a physical boundary that he has established. You don't have to agree with it, but it doesn't change the fact that that's his boundary. Morally, do not disobey your parents. You don't have to agree with it, but it doesn't change God's stance about it. He has established that boundary. Spiritually, you shall not have any other gods before the Lord your God. Now, you don't have to agree with it, but you're not going to change God's mind about it. See, God has created boundaries, and a transgressor is one who steps over those boundaries. If you have children, you know what a transgressor looks like because you see them every day. Don't do this. And it gets worse as they get to be teenagers. I'm finding that out. Don't do this. And they step right on over it. Did, did you not hear me? What? I just told you don't do that. I didn't hear you. 
Well, take the earbuds out of your ears and listen to me. So it used to be take your earwax out of your ears. Now they have something literally in their ears. And they, they don't hear you, but that's what a transgressor is. It is someone who steps over boundaries that's been established. And that's what David confesses to. And any time you or I step over any one of God's boundaries, it's a transgression against God's boundaries, against God's laws. And David confessed to them, and you and I need to do so too. But to do that, we have to not only admit we stepped over the boundary, we have to agree that the boundary is God's boundaries, and it's right. That's where we get off. Yes, God, I had sex outside of marriage, but I'm not so sure that's really wrong in our culture today. Yeah, God, I know that I disobeyed my parents, but if you just knew my parents, then I don't think you'd really care. I know you say I shouldn't have any other gods before you. I really don't. I don't worship anything else, but I just like my money more than you, and I just like my job more than you, and I just like my relationships more than you. I like my boat more than you. I like my golf clubs more than you. Now, we wouldn't say that, but remember that our actions go a lot further than our mouths, right? And so we have to be willing to say, I transgressed your laws, and I agree that your laws are right. That's what David did, okay? The second thing that he confesses is not only his transgressions, but he, he in verse 2, he confesses his iniquity. Look at it in verse 2. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Now, the word iniquity there is something, it means something that is altogether wrong, and it, it literally translated means crookedness or bent, okay? And it's anything that's not straight up and down. It's anything off the straight and narrow. You know, we hear that term, go the, we walk the straight and narrow path. That's what iniquity is. Anything that is bent one way or the other that's not straight and right in line with what God says. That's iniquity, okay? And, and David says, cleanse me, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Wash me from when I have veered off the straight path into another path. Forgive me of that. So that's another thing that you and I need if we want a fresh movement of God. Sometimes we just need to realize We've kind of gotten off path. You know, Jesus said that broad is the path. Broad is the gate and broad is the path that leads to destruction. But narrow is the gate and narrow is the path that leads to life. There is a such thing as the straight and narrow that's the way of Christ. Sometimes we get off of that path even as followers of Christ. Sometimes we just kind of bend a little bit, you know. No, I probably shouldn't have that way. Here, here's a good one. White lies. Women, please don't ever ask your husbands questions that are going to make them lie to you. Does this dress make me look fat? Mm -mm, I ain't touching that one. Don't ask. Don't, don't ask. No, I'm, I'm being facetious, but it's either true or it's false, right? We either speak truth or we speak false, right? We, sometimes we just we bend a little. We, we bend. And that, that's iniquity. 
And, and sometimes we have to be willing to agree, admit, and agree we've bent. We've went away from the straight, and we've got onto the crooked, and we need to come back. That's what David did. That's the second thing that he uh, confessed. The third thing is found in verse 3. Look at it. In verse 3, he says, For I acknowledge my transgressions before you, my sin is always before me. Now, that sin is probably the term that we're most acclimated to in church, okay? Because we talk about sin a lot. We know that the Bible says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And, and probably most of you have heard this. Definition of sin is pretty simple. It means to miss the mark. That's what sin is. Sin literally means to miss the mark. It's the idea that God has a standard, a perfect standard, and that you and I miss that standard in everything we do. For all have sinned. For all have fallen short. It's like there's this, this target out there, not with different sections, but the whole target is the bullseye. The whole target is the bullseye. That's God's standard, and every time we try to hit it, we fall short. That's what sin is. It means to literally miss the mark. We miss God's mark. We miss his standard. And David acknowledges that. He agrees. I fall short. I missed your mark. And let me tell you something. The more you dig into God's word and find out what his standards are, the more of a sinner you will become. Because there are times where in life you see, you're doing things and you don't think there's anything wrong with them, maybe for 20, 30 years, and all of a sudden one day you're reading Scripture and something jumps out at you and you realize, wait a minute, whoa, that's wrong. That's sinful. I've been missing the mark all, the, all these years. I didn't even realize what I was doing was wrong. Listen, the more you dig into God's Word and the more you understand what God's Word says about His standard, His perfect standard, the more you realize you can't hit that standard. And, and that's what David had done with his sin with Bathsheba. He, he missed God's standard. He, he missed. God, God, number one, David, if you know the story of David, he wasn't even supposed to be there. The Bible's very clear that when he sinned with Bathsheba is when the kings went to war. And all the kings are out at war. Where's David? He's lounging around in the palace. He wasn't even supposed to be there. Then he goes out on the roof. He sees Bathsheba taking a bath. Now, I would go so far to say that his first sight of Bathsheba taking a bath was not a sin. But his second look was. Uh, and let me give you an example of what that looks like. Okay. Driving down the road, summertime. You look over, just kind of glazing around. If you're a driver, you look around. You're just kind of looking around, and all of a sudden you look over your side, and this is a man driving. And you see this beautiful young lady, and she's out mowing in a bikini. You see that is not purposeful, but that's what you saw. That's not sinful. But when you drive around the block six or seven times, that's sinful. That, that's what I'm saying. David wasn't supposed to be there. He goes out. He sees her taking a bath. His first glance wasn't sin. He wasn't doing that on purpose. But his second and third and fifth and tenth and twentieth glance were sinful. 
And then it leads him into a lust. I've got to have her. And so he sends for her, brings her into his chamber, has an affair with her. She conceives a child. You, you get where I'm saying? Over and over and over in the story of David with his sin, with, he, he fell short. And you and I, if we were to be really honest in our lives, we fall short all the time too. But falling short is not where we find the renewal. It's being willing to admit and agree that we've fallen short. That's where we find renewal. And that's what David did. He confessed his transgressions. He confessed his iniquity. He confessed his sin. And he sums up all three of those in verse 4 and just simply calls them evil. Look at it, verse 4. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. That's what sin is. That's what transgression is. That's what iniquity is. And until you and I come to terms with our evil and acknowledge them as evil, we will never experience a fresh movement of God. And then the third thing, the last thing this morning about confession that has to happen is I want you to see the purpose of confession. Why do we need to confess? What's the purpose of it? Well, if you look in verse 4, you'll find that there are two very important reasons that I'm going to give you from here, and then I'm going to go down in verse 7 and show you the third one. But there are three biblical reasons or biblical purposes that we need to see. The first thing that you need to see, the first purpose of confession is because our sin is against God. Look at verse 4. Against you and you only have I sinned. Against you and you only have I sinned. You and I need to confess because our sin is against God. God set the standard. God set the boundaries. God set the state of right and wrong. And anytime we break those boundaries, we step over them, or we break his law, or we get off of his straight path, that sin is against God. Notice that David didn't say, against Bathsheba, I sinned. Against my country, I sinned. Now, did he sin against Bathsheba? Yes. Did he sin against his country? Yes. But David understood a significant fact. When you boil all that down, he sinned against one person, and that was against God. You and I need to confess because our sin is against God. It's not against that person or against that, that subject area or whatever you want to call it. Our sin is against him. So when was the last time that you went to God about your sin, about your transgression, and about your iniquity, you, you confessed it as in you admitted to it and agreed that it was wrong because you realized that your sin is against God? Here's the one, one of the things that you can do. It used to remind me. It, it helped me with this particular point. When was the last time you sat and you thought back to your sin and, and, and thought, you know, that sin, that put Jesus on the cross? Sometimes doing that will open your eyes a little bit to what you're doing. It, 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 sin can't just be let go. And that's the second thing I want you to see about sin, and that is sin has to be judged. 
we need to confess it because sin is against God, but we also need to confess it because sin has to be judged. God can't just let sin go. See, God is perfectly righteous and perfectly holy, and therefore he can't just let sin go. He can't just write it off and say it's no big deal. No, no, God has to judge sin. Look, look at verse 4. He says, Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Listen to what he says. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. God is completely blameless to judge anyone of their sin. Because we've broken God's laws. He's completely blameless. It's not God's fault. It's not God's fault that he has to be a righteous judge. That's his character. It's our fault that he has to be a righteous judge in our lives because we broke his laws. That's on us. That's being willing to agree and admit, God, you're righteous and your standard is righteous, and I don't add up to it. It's not your fault I don't add up to it. It's my fault. It's my fault that I don't add up to your standard. Listen, judge, sin has to be judged. He can't just write that off. He can't just let that go. Uh, sometimes that's what we think, I think. Sometimes I think we just think, you know, it's not that big a deal. God's... You know, I'm his child. He's not going to... No, all sin has to be judged. Now, here, here's how it's judged. It's judged on the cross for the believer. Thanks be to God, he who knew no sin became sin for us, what the Word of God says, that Jesus literally became the propitiation of our sins on the cross. God took our sins and judged them on the cross by applying them to Jesus and his substitutionary death for us. Thanks be to God. As a believer, my sin has been dealt with. It has been judged in Jesus. Thank God. But if I'm not a believer, then guess who's going to pay the judgment penalty for their sin? The non-believer. How will they pay that judgment? In an eternal separated state from God. Because that's the only way to heaven is through Jesus. If you're not willing to accept Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for the judgment of your sin, then you're going to pay for your sin in a place that never was created for you to be in the first place. You do know that's what Jesus describes hell, right? As a place that was prepared for Satan and his angels. But men end up there because of their refusal to allow God to forgive them based off the free gift of Jesus that he gave and what he did on the cross of Calvary. And so sin has to be judged. You see that very clearly in the Old Testament. But don't forget, you see that in the New Testament too. If there was no judgment for sin, then why in the world did Jesus have to come and die on the cross? So don't think for a minute the New Testament gets away from judgment whatsoever. It doesn't. As a matter of fact, the book of Hebrews that we're talking about on Sunday night talks about judgment. The book of Revelation that we just spent last year on on Wednesday nights talks about judgment. You won't get away from judgment in the New Testament. He's still God. He's still going to judge. He has to. Why? Because he's righteous. He can't just let it go. And so we need to confess because our sin is against God, because God will judge sin. And then the third thing, the last thing, is because confession yields forgiveness and cleansing. Look at verse 7. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. The New Testament equivalent to that would be 1 John 1, 9, which I talked about last week. 
But 1 John 1, 9, written a believer, says that if we confess our sin, agree and admit, admit and agree, if we confess our sin, then God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why do we need to confess? Because confession is the key to forgiveness and cleansing. Sometimes we're so much like pigs. Let me say what I'm about to say, okay, before I lose you any further. You can clean a pig up all you want, but they really just rather be dirty. Right? They clean them up, let them out in the pig pen and see where they go. They're going to go to the mud hole and they're going to roll around in it. That's what they do. Sometimes we, we want to be clean, but we want to stay in the mud. We, we want to be clean, but we're not willing to agree that we want to stay in the mud, or we don't want to agree that the mud's bad. Sometimes we want to be clean, but we're not willing to go to the one who can clean us and say, I confess, cleanse me. We don't want to do what David said. Now, here, here's the key, real quick. Look at that again. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be white as snow. Hyssop is not a soft material. As a matter of fact, hyssop is the branch that they used in the Exodus to dip down into the dill of blood, to sprinkle blood on the doorposts, so the death angel, the tenth plague, would pass over those houses of the Hebrew children. Hyssop is coarse. Sometimes, a lot of time, most of the time, cleansing is not easy. And sometimes it can be a little bit painful. But it's always worth it. Why? Because cleansing, to be clean, is to have right standing before the Father. To have a relationship that is unhindered by sin, by transgressions, by iniquity, by our evil.